Well, good morning once again. So glad you are all here at Zoe Church. Again, want to welcome those that are here for the first time as, the, as well as those that are worshiping online as we continue uh, the series that I kicked off a few weeks ago called An Election Proof Faith, all right? Uh, we said during this season, it's a crazy season, right? Like it just is in our country. And it's so easy to get sideways. It's so easy to get off course. And we felt in this season it was so critical for us to help us stay focused on what is most important. That we would stay centered and grounded on Christ. Amber and I have said this. Our call is to, is to pastor, which means to shepherd this congregation. And we aren't shepherding you to a candidate. We're not shepherding you to a political party. We are shepherding you toward Christ. That's our call. And that's our burden that he's put on our hearts. That's what our job is here, okay? And so our hope is that we can do that. But I'll just pause here for a second before we jump into the message and just say this. This election still matters, all right? Okay? Why? Because elections have consequences, right? It, it, they do. And so our challenge to every one of us is that the blessing in being America is that we have the opportunity to be a part of electing who is going to lead us. And so I would encourage every single one of you to participate in the process to make sure that you vote and, and that you, you look, you say, don't listen to the loudest voices out there. Look at the candidates, but also look at the platforms those candidates represent and to prayerfully make a decision that you think is best according to God's word. All right? That's my challenge for you. Cool. Well, we, uh, we said this at the beginning of the series. If we want to follow Christ, then we know that in times like this, we can't operate like everybody else does, right? How many know you look at other people, you're like, that is not how you should be acting right now. We can't act like everybody else does. We've got to do things differently. So the first couple of weeks, we talked about some really foundational things. Remember, we talked about allegiance. How many remember seeing the solar system? Remember the picture of the solar system? Okay. If you missed that message, you need to go back. We talked about putting Christ at the center of every part of our life. Then the second week, we talked about values. We said, if we're going to be a follower of Christ, we have to value the same things God values. We don't get to just value our own things. we got to value what he values. And this morning, we're going to look specifically at one of those values. It's actually the one thing that Jesus said should mark our lives. It should be the defining factor of who we are. And it's actually one thing that can affect every other area in our lives. But to be honest, it's one of those things that so often is in direct conflict with what feels natural to us and what we want to do. I know that this is something that I struggle with on a regular basis, and I'm pretty sure you're going to see the same thing. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. As you're turning there, just a reminder, we've, uh, in our Bible reading plan, if, you, if you've kind of fallen off a little bit, tomorrow we'll post the reading for this next week as we're just going through the New Testament together, reading it together. Would you stand with me as we're going to read our primary text here this morning? Nothing sacred about staying in. It's just our tradition around here whenever we read uh, the Word of God together. Colossians chapter 3, beginning of verse number 12, says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that although this was written 2,000 years ago, it speaks to us today. It is so relevant to us today. So God, I pray that this wouldn't be my words, but it would be your words to our hearts. So we open our ears, we open our hearts to you and pray that in your name. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. We're going to dig into this passage of scripture for a little bit. So there's going to be a little bit of teaching. So stick with me for a few moments and then we'll apply this and see what does this really look like in our lives. All right. The first question we've got to ask whenever we look at a passage of scripture is what is the... 
Context. Context. What is the context? If we don't look at the context, we can come up with some really screwy ideas, right? We cherry-pick some verses, and we, we make it say what we want it to say. All right, so we got to look at the context. So what is the context? First, we're going to look at the context of Colossians, the book of Colossians. What is Colossians? Colossians was a letter written by a man named Paul. Who is Paul? Remember who Paul is. Paul was a guy who was trying to kill the Christians. He was trying to end Christianity. He was trying to stop the Christians. He thought they were crazy. They were off base. He was trying to end this thing, put them in prison. But what happened? It wasn't that somebody convinced him. It wasn't that somebody preached an amazing sermon and he came down to some altar. It wasn't any of those things. What? He came face to face with a resurrected Jesus. And because of that, what did he do? He went from being the greatest uh, persecutor of the church to being the greatest advocate and leader within the church at the time. It was an amazing thing. And so Paul then goes around, he begins to share what he has seen, not just what somebody told him, what he has seen, this hope of Christ. And he's planting little groups of believers all over the place. So he goes to the city of Colossae, he plants a church there. And it says, uh, he leaves and he comes back and now he's, he's writing a letter. Because these are believers, these are people who are following Christ and he's trying to encourage them. It's just like us. It would be like if I, I left and I tried to write a letter just to encourage you in your faith. So that's what Colossians is. So we get to the chapter 3 here in uh, verse number 12. And look, what's the first word there? Therefore. Remember we asked this. Whenever you see a therefore, ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, good. Two of you know the answer. Way to go. Okay, what's the therefore, therefore, Right? Okay, this is connected to something else. So you got to have it in context. What is being said here? So you get to the beginning of chapter 3. Verse number 1, and Paul writes this. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. See, Paul is going to get at a foundational principle right out of the gates here. It's this. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a new creation. You have been raised. You are not what you once were. You are all new. We know this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this. Uh, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. See, this is what the gospel says. We talk about gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. And what is the good news? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Religion says this. Clean yourself up. Get your stuff together. If you can get your stuff together, then maybe God will like you. And actually, you get to the end of your life, and as long as you kind of can, can have more good than bad, like I'm a pretty decent guy, compared to everybody else, I'm pretty good, right? That's not good news, because you're just hoping at that point. Like, dear Jesus, I hope I can get into heaven, right? That's not good news. The good news of the gospel is that you are saved not by yourself, it is by the righteousness of Jesus. His death and resurrection purchase what you could never purchase for yourself. That's the good news. It's salvation. It is a gift of God. And even though sometimes you don't feel like it, you ever sometimes feel like, I don't feel it right now. It doesn't matter. It's a spiritual reality. It's a reality. It is truth. It is something you can stand firm in, okay? But although we may be a new creation, we still need to be retrained. And some of you women know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you women have been married, right? Here's what happens, right? You get that man, you walk down an aisle, you stand before the judge, you stand before the minister, whatever you stand before, and uh, you make some vows. And in that moment, he is your husband, right? Fully, completely, 100%. Doesn't matter. Sometimes you don't even feel anything different, right? The wedding, I'm like, really? We're now married? This feels weird. I don't, I don't feel anything different. It doesn't matter. 100% fully, that man is your husband, okay? He can't become more your husband than he already is. But something happens because you go home. 
Honeymoon's over. And suddenly, he starts doing really annoying things, right? He starts leaving clothes by the bed, right? He leaves the toilet seat up. Sometimes he pees on the toilet seat. There's all these gross things, man. They smell funny. They just are annoying. They're just obnoxious, right? And, and you realize something. Although he is fully your husband, there is some retraining that needs to take place. Right? I got some work. To, you got a lifetime to retrain this man into who you think he needs to be, right? It's a horrible example, but it is reality because it is so comparable to what it is following Christ. In that moment, you submit your life to Christ. You are fully, 100% a child of God. There is nothing you could do to become more a child of God than you are in that moment. But there is some retraining that needs to take place because you've just stepped into a new kingdom with new values, new things that are important, new, new pursuits, new priorities, right? And so we have to do this. And so there's a fancy word. You ever heard the word sanctification? Anybody ever heard that word before? Okay, it's a fancy word. Here's the Greg Lynn's uh, version of that. It's stepping into the identity that you have already been given. It's becoming what you already are. You are a child of God, but it's beginning to live like that. Actually living it out. That it would change the way, shape the way you live, the way you speak, the way you act. I, I want to bring this, this sentence up here for you. If you want to pull this up on the screens. Because if left to our own natural devices, our reflexes can be wrong. If left to our own devices, the way that we are naturally respond, the way you act, all those things, it isn't in alignment oftentimes with what his kingdom would ask of us. And so there is a process of growth. There is a process of things that need to change inside of us. Our reflexes are wrong. Remember when you were a little kid and you went to the doctor? What's the worst part of going to the doctor as a kid? Anybody know? Shots, exactly. Somebody answered correctly. That is the correct answer, okay? But what is the second worst thing of going to the doctor as a kid? Nope. Throat culture. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? The throat culture. We abuse children, right? We wonder why four-year-olds don't like to go to the doctor. It's because we have a, a masked person jam a stick down their throat, and they're like, trauma, you know? It's, just, it's not fun, but what, what happens when you have a throat culture? You ever had a throat culture? What happens? You gag. It's a natural, thank you. <laughs> She's raising her hand. That's great. Uh, you gag, right? You, you don't, it's nothing you try. You don't have to work at it. We all have this gag reflex to some extent that responds to this, okay? And some of the reflexes that we have in life are good, but other reflexes we have are bad. They can be destructive, and Paul kind of talks about this, and I don't have time to get into this, but when you read through uh, up kind of verses 5 through 10, what Paul is going to do is go through a bunch of our bad reflexes here. Ways that the way that we live, the way that we operate is in conflict with what God is calling us to. He talks through these things, and I think all of us can relate to these. There's a lot of things he says here that we need to put to death. There's a lot of things we need to take off. We need to stop doing these things. And we get it. When we come to faith, some of you remember that. You came to faith maybe later in life. And when you came to faith, right away you realized, oh man, I need to stop doing some stuff. I need to kind of take some stuff off. I got to get some stuff out of my life. But there's a problem that happens oftentimes for us church people. It's that our spiritual development curve looks kind of like this. Because early on, we, we're, there's all these changes that take place. But you know what happens about, I don't know, four months, six months, 12 months down the road. Maybe it's a couple years down the road. What happens is rather than looking at Jesus, we start looking at each other. And we start saying, well, compared to that schmo, I'm doing pretty good. All right? Like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, like, perfect. I'm not, like, acting like Jesus or something, but I'm not that bad, you know. I look okay. I'm, you know, our sin becomes palatable. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, it's okay, right? 
And so Paul begins to dig in there and says, listen, you need to continue. He's not writing to non-Christians, he's writing to Christians. There's still things that we need to get out of our lives, right? But he makes a pivot, and he goes from taking, hey, there's things that we need to get out of our lives to, hey, there's some things you need to put on. You need to add to your life. You need to allow to become part of you. He basically goes from saying, listen, we've got some bad reflexes we need to get rid of, and we've got some new habits that we need to develop. And so we're going to look, if you got your Bibles, look with me at verse number 12 as we kind of start digging into the passage that we read. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Once again, that's the starting point. He's not telling people, hey, if you do these things, then maybe you'll get to be a child of God. He's saying you already are a child of God. That's who you are because you are a follower of Christ. There is hope. There is life for you. Because of that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to clothe yourself. The language that we're going to see throughout this passage is he's telling you, get dressed, okay? You're walking around naked. You need to get yourself dressed. There's some stuff you've got to put on. And the stuff he's going to talk about is, is stuff that's going to be helpful to us. You know, when Jesus tells us to do stuff, sometimes it isn't natural, but it's always best. I think sometimes our view of God is that like, oh, he's just sucking the fun out of life and making things harder for me, Right? You ever thought that? You don't say that. I know you never say those things out loud, but we think it in our head. Maybe uh, He's just taking the fun away. Like he's, he says all the fun things are bad. No, he, he actually designed things. He knows what's best for you. And he's trying to guide us in that. I think we're going to see that here. So the first thing he says, all right, you got to put some stuff on. He says, clothe yourself with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Put this stuff on. Now, for some of us, these are natural reflexes sometimes. Okay? Some of you are patient sometimes. Some of you are kind sometimes. Some of you are compassionate sometimes. I can be patient sometimes. Like, I can be patient with your children, okay? Because I get them in very small doses. Like, I, you know, 30 minutes, you know, five minutes. With I can be so patient. With my own kids, it's a battle sometimes. Every parent understands what I'm saying. I can be patient in some places. I'm not real patient in the grocery line, Right? When I get to the grocery line, I'm struggling, right? I always get the person who writes a check in front of me, and it drives me nuts. Like, is that even a thing anymore? You're writing a check right now. I go to Fleet Farm. Anybody like Fleet Farm? The men, all the men. Only men raise their hand just there. That's great. Uh, Oh, there we go. We got some ladies. That's great. I I love Fleet Farm. You can get, it's like the man mall. You can get anything at a Fleet Farm, okay? But when I go to Fleet Farm, I'm there to buy one thing usually. Like, get in, get out, buy my thing. And inevitably, the person in front of me is buying their groceries at the Fleet Farm. And I'm sitting there, okay? And Fleet Farm only opens two lanes at a time. It drives me nuts. Sorry, this is a, this is a session in counseling for me. Thank you. Okay. We can be some of these things some of the time. But we have a hard time doing these all of the time. And see, the the call for us as followers of Christ is don't do these things when it's just your natural reflex. When it's convenient, when it's easy, when it's comfortable. No, he's saying before the circumstance even comes, put this on. Start clothing yourself in these things. He's saying this, you've got to dress like you're a child of God. Got to put it on, okay? But he goes on here for, you know, he talks about those five things. And we get to verse number 13. He says this, bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Right? He's saying you got to forgive. You've got to forgive people. Extend forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't a natural thing. How do I know that? Because you got to tell the kids this all the time. Say you're sorry. Extend forgiveness. you got to forgive them. Say it's okay. You know, this is something we have to train. It isn't natural for us. We want to hold on to things. Okay? 
But it's so much worse than just forgiving because what does he say? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's hard. That's hard stuff. Why? Because God chose to extend forgiveness to you before you ever were repentant. He chose to extend it, make it available to you before you even acknowledged there was anything wrong. That's the way God forgives. See, it's an initiator. It isn't waiting so, well, if you do all the right stuff and you say you're sorry and you pay me back and you make everything right, then I'll extend forgiveness. No, no. It's ready and waiting. Uh, you know, you guys know I love sports, and there was a documentary, The Last Dance. Anybody see The Last Dance out there, okay? It's a documentary about the Chicago Bulls in the 97-98 season, okay? And uh, it's a great documentary, super fun for me as a Bulls fan, being able to watch all the ins and outs. But there was a moment in there that really struck me. Because there was an interview with Michael Jordan, you know, the GOAT. Sorry, LeBron fans, get over it. Um, but there was a moment where he starts talking about this interaction he had with Isaiah Thomas back in like 1991, something like that. And he starts talking about this thing where he was offended. And you could see in his eyes just getting angry. You could see this bitterness and hatred in his eye. It was just kind of crazy. It was kind of gross when you were watching it. And he gets to this point and he's like, I'll never forgive him. I'll never forgive that guy. And it just got quiet for a second. And I remember thinking, man, 30 years he's been holding on to this and he's still bitter. It's eating him alive inside still. And why does God tell us to forgive? It's because, oh, it'll suck the fun out of your life. It'll make your life harder. No, it's the best thing for you. Some of us are walking around. I get it. You've been hurt. Some of you have been hurt in ways that I can't even imagine. But you've been holding on to that bitterness, hoping that that other person will get injured through it. They're not. They've moved on. You're the one that's getting eaten to pieces. And God would say this, listen, don't forgive when they've come to you with all the, the niceties and they've said all the nice stuff and they made you feel better and they, they've paid everything back. No, don't. Forgive as Christ forgave you. We extend it. We put it on, right? Ahead of time. We're ready to forgive. On edge, looking to forgive. And we get to verse number 14. It says this, and over all these things, all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. The language here is like clothing. He's like, this is like a belt or a sash or something that's holding all your stuff together, right? Put it on. It holds everything together. If there is one thing, one thing that is supposed to mark us as followers of Christ, it's this. It is love. This is the pursuit that we have to have. This is the thing we have to put on. It is the greatest ethic of the Christian faith. It's love. Remember when Jesus was asked, sum up the Old Testament, sum the whole thing up, what did he say? Love God. Love people. That's it. This thing holds everything else together. Are there other things? Absolutely. But the greatest, the foundational principle is this idea of love. And it isn't some romantic love. It isn't some self-centered, pleasure-focused kind of love. What kind of love is? Remember when Philippians? We talked about this for, for months on end. What is the love? It is a self-sacrificing, laying down of our rights, valuing others above ourselves kind of love. That's what we are called to. It's a love that looks like Jesus, who loved us when we didn't love him, who loved us when we didn't deserve it, who loved us when it wasn't convenient for him, who loved us when it caused his own pain. That's how he loved us. When I say the love chapter in the Bible, who knows what chapter I'm talking about? Okay. 
First Corinthians, I heard somebody say it. First Corinthians 13, right? First Corinthians 13. Some of you, how many of you had this read at your wedding? Did anybody have this read at your wedding? Some of you did, okay. Some of you had this read. This is, this is read at lots of weddings. And I think it's great because it applies to weddings, but this passage has nothing to do with weddings. <laughs> this isn't a marriage passage. This is actually talking to the church because the church was not loving each other. And he's saying, okay, this is how you should treat each other. So if you want to know what love looks like, how we should love, not just loving your spouse, that's good, you should start there, that's probably a good idea, but how should you love other people? What should love look like in our lives? It says it here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says this, love is what? It is patient. It's patient. Love is kind. It's not a jerk. It doesn't try to be right. No, it, it's kind. It, it doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not like I got all my stuff together and you don't. That's not how it is. It's not proud. It isn't act arrogant. That's not what love looks like. We can act that way, but that's not what love looks like, right? He goes on, it does not dishonor others. It's not looking to push someone down and esteem themselves. That's just not what love does. It doesn't act that way. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is the type of love that we're called to. How many of you know this is really easy to do with people that you like, right? People that are nice to you. It's so easy. Oh, I can be so patient with you. I can be kind to you. But then we walk into people that we just can't stand, you know? And so I want to get to our big so what this morning. And, and this is, it. I always say there's, there's one thought if you forget. Everything else I said, and some of you did, wake yourself up right now. Here we go. Here's your one thought for this morning. It's this. Like is a reflex. Love is a habit. Like is a reflex. Love is a habit. Okay, we walk around our world using the reflex of like a lot of times. You think about it. You walk into a room and you start, you know, you ever go into a wedding, wedding reception, there's all these people you don't know. You walk around and you're like, eh, I like that guy. Eh, I like that person. Ah, eh, that person's driving me nuts. Ugh, I had their, their personality. Ugh, they're driving me crazy, you know. You go around people, oh, I like their hair. I like this. I don't like that. They, that person smells. We, we make decisions like this. We do the same thing with food. I don't have to tell you, you know, or make you think about whether you like a food. You put it in your mouth and it's a reflex. I like it. I don't like it. I like it. I don't like it. The problem is our behavior oftentimes is reflective of that. This reflex that we have. We walk around. If we like people, we treat them kindly. We treat them with gentleness. We treat them with compassion. If we don't, if we're offended, if we're frustrated, we begin to act a different way. And the call for us as followers of Christ is not to walk around and act like we like people or make decisions based on whether or not we like people. We are called to put on the habit of love. And it isn't easy. It's hard. It's hard work at times. It demands something from you. It takes actual effort. This is why he isn't saying, oh, just stumble in it. No, you have to put this thing on. This takes work. And you got to put it on ahead of time because guess what? When you know you're going to come into contact with that person you don't like, you're going to start wanting to, uh, right? Let's put on love ahead of time. Okay, God, I'm going to respond, not based on how I feel about them. I'm going to respond based on the love that is in my heart. Anyone who's been married understands this principle as well. Trust me, there are plenty of times when Amber doesn't like me. I, I'm annoying sometimes. <laughs> I can say dumb things. I can act annoying. I can make mistakes. I can be the guy who leaves my you know, clothes on the side of the bed at times. There's plenty of things where Amber probably doesn't like me in the moment. Thank God our marriage is not built on like. Our marriage is built on love. The foundation of a habit of love. And we, can, we get this. Like in marriage, you understand your marriage is not going to happen if you don't have a habit of love. 
But what about those other people in your life? What about that family member that you have, that in-law, that, that parent, that sibling that you struggle with? And you're just praying someday you'll wake up and maybe I'll start liking them and then I can treat them well. No, that's not the call. You may never like them. It's okay. The good news of, of faith is Jesus isn't calling us to like everybody. We've been called to self-sacrifice ourselves and to love others, to care for others. You maybe have a neighbor. Some of you have neighbors, right? Their dog poops in your yard all the time, right? Or they put up a fence that's too big or it's on your property. You're mad about it. You've been bitter about this thing for years. You're not called to like them, but you are called to forgive. You are called to put on love, to care for them above yourself, to serve them above yourself. Why are we doing this whole together for good thing? It is to build the habit of love. Because if we only do loving things when it's convenient, when we're emotionally stirred up to do this thing, we're only gonna do it this much. And guess how much need there is in our world? This much. And God has called us, how can we put on the, the clothing of love, having the habit of love in our life that we could respond to people, not because they're so good, but for a whole other reason. You remember, why, why do we love? It's because Christ first loved us when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't do anything to own it, when, when he could have done anything else. He said, I'm going to choose to love. Would we put on love? And I want to say this for the body of Christ. The same situation. We look around this room. Guess what? You don't have to like everybody in our church. You don't. Because some of you, you have the same shared interests, shared, you know, whatever. And so you're like, I like that person. Ooh, they look, that looks like, you don't have to like everybody in the church. It's okay. But we do have to love each other because the foundation of unity is only gonna come when we have love. When we say, I'm gonna have a habit of love. I'm going to treat you not how I feel. I'm gonna treat you how Christ has already treated me, okay? Put on love. Put on things like compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. So there's so many applications for this, and I think you can begin to make some of those in your own minds. Uh, but I want to just take a moment to then apply this to the season that we're in with politics in our election right now. Because if we look around at our world, I think we all understand that we are all responding with bad, unsanctified reflexes. We're walking around with like and dislike. I like what they said. I don't like what they said. I agree with what they said. I disagree with what they said. And based on that, we are treating one another differently. We treat other people, whether it's in person, whether it's online, I don't care where it is. But how we respond is different based on whether or not we like someone. And my, my challenge to us as followers of Christ, that every single one of us, that we would put on love. That we wouldn't just act loving when it feels right, but that we would put on love. I think one of the best indicators of spiritual maturity is how we respond and treat those who think differently than we do. How do we treat people who think differently? Do we respond? Do we have this habit of love or a reflex of like? Like, oh, I like that. Yeah. I don't like that ick, you know. Or do we treat them the way we're called to? The habit of love should be visible by things like, you may have heard this before, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Those are the things that, that should be reflective if we're going to be those who are acting in love. Now, for some of you, I, I get this. You, you're going to say, yeah, but we got to stand up. We got to stand up. You're right. Love doesn't roll over. I'm not saying that we need to roll over. 
but in our standing up for truth and speaking out truth, do we still have compassion, kindness, humility? Do these things still surface in our lives? Are we putting these things on? It's a challenge for every one of us. And there isn't one of us that can say, oh, I do that perfectly because I'm in the same boat. I don't always respond that way. And the call for us corporately is say, God, help us. Would you help us not to act like everybody else does, not to talk like everybody else does? God, would we look different? Would we dress like your kids with those things in our lives? There's a question I want to ask again in this season, and it's this. is do you want to be right, or do you want to put on love? I think sometimes we need to ask ourselves this question because it, you can't always do both. Sometimes you can. But there are times where our desire to be right takes us into a position where we stop loving. I can do this with my wife sometimes, right? There are times where she might feel something and I might think I have all the facts on my side, right? I got, and I can prove to her why her feelings are, are wrong because I, I've got all the facts on my side. Maybe you guys are way more spiritual than I am and you've never done that before, but I think, I'm like, but, but sweetie, look at the facts. The facts say this, and I, I, I say, okay. In that moment, my desire to prove my rightness has put me into a position where I'm totally wrong because my concern should be for her and to extend love and grace toward her and to care for her, to have kindness toward her. And I think we can do the same thing in every, whether it's elections, whether it's any other topic we deal with. At times, we don't choose love. We choose something else. We want to be right. So this is my challenge for us this morning is that we would respond the same way Christ responded to us. That he pursued us in love. He didn't wait till we had all our stuff together. He didn't wait till he liked us. He put on love. And, and Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he wouldn't do first. And so would we respond? Would we take the love that we've received and would we extend that? Maybe you need to do that with, you know, people that you've been dealing with. Maybe there are people in your family, neighbors you're dealing with. Maybe that is your marriage here this morning. I don't know, it's possible some marriages walked in this morning and you're totally falling apart because of a lack of love and concern. My prayer this morning is that we would take a step to look different, to live differently.